Um, I have a range of approaches. (laughs) Depends what mood I'm in on the day maybe and how many comments I've received. I guess the way that the person approaches it, if they're they're coming in and they've got a real profile picture, a real name and things like that, if if they're just a trolling account, I'll immediately block them and delete the comment because there's no energy worth saving there. If they look to be a real person, I will... Depending on the nature of their comment, I'll sometimes go back to them to try and use statistics and data to prove that what they're saying is incorrect. Sometimes I'll be a bit of a smart ass back to them and see if I can get a few likes on my comment <laughs> just for a bit of fun. But um, yeah, I think, I think I'll try and educate people with cold hard facts if the opportunity presents, but otherwise it's just exhausting sometimes. And so blocking and deleting is the way to go. But it's hard to keep up with sometimes like particularly like you know with the algorithm sometimes like if a reel goes viral like it's hard to keep up with that volume of comments from a from a resourcing perspective too g'day guys coming up on the show today is chloe dalton chloe's remarkable journey as an athlete and an advocate includes clinching a gold medal in rugby sevens at the rio 2016 olympics and being the visionary behind the female athlete project platform dedicated to elevating the visibility for women's sports. For her dual roles as an elite athlete and a passionate advocate, Chloe has made significant strides in championing gender equality and empowering female athletes around the world. She's now a two-times published author and boasts over 100,000 followers for the Female Athlete Project, which has become the fastest growing women's sport platform in Australia. Lots to look out for, including her journey as an athlete, challenges that come with advocating for women in sport, and what goes into building the Female Athlete Project behind the scenes. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion, I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm Ryan Walker, joining me is the project man, Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia back in the day. Each week, we learn how people made it in sports. We tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills, and everything they do that makes them great, all so that you can learn how to get in, get promoted, and get thriving in the sports industry. Rubes, how are you, my friend? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing terrific. Thank you very much. I've uh, been in Sydney all week. It's been a fabulous week up north, a lot warmer than uh, we are used to down in Melbourne. But, uh, mate, I've, I've been here, there and everywhere. It's been a sensational weekend to begin with. I came down for the Sale GP, uh, which I was uh, lovingly hosted by podcast and meetup panel guest Basha Sikorsky, where she got myself and our other Sydney panellist guests, Howard von Dyke and Nick Susco, both of us out on a boat onto Shark Island to watch her event, the, uh, the Sale GP. So that was absolutely outstanding. So... Um, this week is International Women's Day week, the week that this is going out. So I thought I'd call out one particularly amazing female in sport to begin with in Basha who's doing some incredible things. I know even um, during the week I went to, uh, to Sydney FC to see the boys afterwards and they were raving about the insight that she was able to provide into, into sale and how much they enjoyed learning from her as well. So, yeah, Sydney's been amazing. I've seen the Sydney FC boys, been to Sydney Swans HQ as well. And um, just enjoying uh, a different t- uh, different scenery for a change. 
Nice. Really just lapping up the Sydney sporting lifestyle and landscape, which is brilliant to see. Uh, it's amazing how, uh, you know, where a sports club meetup can take you. Uh, Shark Island on the boat, even the, the Sydney FC guys, is awesome to get them involved. Exactly uh, right. It just shows how good meetups are, right, for, for your network and, and going to awesome events and whatnot. It's, it's as easy as that. 100%. And we've got a couple more coming this week. Absolutely. It's all happening. Uh, if you don't already, follow us on LinkedIn. You can follow, well, Rubes' travels. He's in Sydney right now. You can see uh, what it's all about over there. Uh, but follow us, connect with us, uh, and meet other amazing people in the sports industry. Uh, you can join our community as well. Uh, we've just done an intake. You can join our wait list for our next intake, which is in May. We would love to get you involved with that. Speaking of the community rooms, there are some amazing wins this week. I know we say that every week, but there's a couple of awesome ones that have come across our desk, which we have to mention. Yeah, absolutely. So straight off the bat, V Trung has just picked up a role working as a social media producer for the Oz Grand Prix. So she's about to have the weekend of her life getting behind the scenes at the F1s. Uh, Clayton Henderson got a partnerships job at IMG, just moved from Golf Australia. He's done his... Uh, he's, he's done his uh, initial work there, got the training wheels off, and now he's off to IMG to uh, explode his career. So well done to you, Clayton. And uh, Zen Ronaldo over at the Adelaide Crows has got a community role there. So well done to those three. Um, plenty happening in the community as always. Some big wins going on and some also big events coming up as well. This Thursday night, we are going to be in Brisbane for our sports grad meetup up there starring Pete Locke. And he's going to be talking about how the Brisbane Heat build a fan base. And if you weren't aware, they are the most followed sporting club in Oceania. That includes every NRL team, every AFL team for a team that you know, between the WBBL and the BBL teams only competes for a few weeks of the year, they're standing head of shoulders above everybody else. So if you're in Brisbane, do not miss out on that because Pete is absolutely elite. And for those in Melbourne, we are hosting an International Women's Day event this Friday. There's still some tickets available if you want to get onto that. We're doing it in collaboration with Holly Bailey and Play Like a Girl. So make sure you come along. We're going to have an incredible night of speakers, a few sports grad community members featuring in that in well, which is as well, which is amazing to see. So if you're in Brisbane and Melbourne, we'll hope to see you this week. Otherwise, if you uh, want to stay up to date with everything that's going on in the sports grad ecosystem, subscribe to our newsletter, sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter is where you can get. And if you do that, you won't miss out on a single event, a single podcast, single job opportunity that's coming through us. So that's where to go. Amazing. We've got an absolute ripper episode on the way. Grab a pen and enjoy this chat with Chloe Dalton. Are you aiming for a future in sport? Be ready to transform the industry. Study with Deakin and be prepared to redefine what it means to work in sport. Deakin's School of Exercise and Nutrition Sciences is ranked number one in the world. So if you want to turn your passion for sport into an impactful career, Get ready to push the limits of exercise and sports science, sport coaching, sport development, sports management, nutrition sciences, physical education, and more. Apply now to study at Deakin in 2024. Chloe, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Chloe, it's a pleasure to have you in. We've, we've just been through a, a trial of different errors to get you into this room, so we're very glad that we finally made it. But um, a lot of people know about your work with the Female Athlete Project and your career as a professional athlete. 
Not too many people know that you're also a trained physio as well. When was the last time that you ever treated someone? Oh, gosh. Um, it's been an interesting journey, my physio career. It's been short-lived. Um, but, yeah, my, my uni degree took me about seven years, I think, because I was playing sevens at the time. So the last time I was working was when I was down in Melbourne, um, when I was playing with Carlton in the AFLW. I was working part-time with a company and just – I don't think I miss it too much, actually. <laughs> I think what you're doing at the most is much more enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, I think I've kind of found my passion. I always, I've always loved physio and I think I really loved the element of like building relationships with the patients and, and their families. Like one of my pracs that I did during uni, I was in the acute spinal ward at, at Royal North Shore and that process was pretty confronting for the patients themselves. But being in the gym with them for like four hours a day um, and their family and, and spouses and people that would come in to support them. It was um, quite an amazing environment to have the opportunity to be a part of. So th- there's definitely elements of it that I miss. But, yeah, I think I found my, my passion away from physio. D- did you ever dive in and get involved when you were with the Australian team or any of the AFLW teams? No, it's kind of a tricky thing, I think, being a physio. I almost had to, like, purposely particularly when I was like fresh out of uni and I was still quite keen and thinking I was going to pursue physios as a career. I think I almost had to make sure that I took a step away for myself, but also for my teammates. Like I think when you're a physio and an athlete, when you like have something happen, like whether it's a little niggle or a more major injury, you literally run through the list of like the differential diagnosis in your head of like, Oh, could it be this? I've got these symptoms. Like, could it be this? So, and then with my teammates, if they had had something and they might not have got their scan results, they'd be like, oh, what do you think? And it's like that awkward thing of like, I'm not going to be that person. Like just go and speak to the proper physio who is doing this as their genuine job. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Always thought uh, being someone who's very prone to doing a hamstring every season, Chloe or a calf, I've always thought it would be handy to uh, have some sort of medical knowledge here to sort of help myself. So can imagine it would be a little bit handy for you to at least have some sort of background physio knowledge. Um, we start every episode, Chloe, with a bit of a, uh, I guess, quick fire questions, as you will, uh, which you may or may not have heard before. We'd like to think you're a good, uh, a good listener of the show, but uh, basically designed to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better before we uh, we get into the the important stuff. So I'll kick us off, uh, and the first one is: What was your first ever job? My first ever job, I reckon, was um, delivering pamphlets around the neighbourhood, like the on the paper run. And I had to sit in front of the TV nice. and put like the seven different pamphlets on top of each other and then go out and deliver them. Nice. I did the same. I used to get the whole family to help me before yeah, I go. Yeah, it was a big job, right? It was. Stacking everything. <laughs> yeah. mm. um, your favourite sporting moment? Oh, I, it's got to be Cathy Freeman, Sydney 2000. Love it. Awesome. Uh, your favourite interview question to ask or get asked? Oh, I need to make sure you don't ask me, but I think one of my favourites <laughs> to ask is what has been your favourite failure? Nice. And uh, do you have one particular book or podcast that's helped you with growing the female athlete? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think... Or it kind of doesn't relate, but I really like listening to property podcasts. I don't know why I have a real, (laughs) maybe because I'll never own one, but I really enjoy listening to property podcasts. And I think 
that's kind of been something where over time I've just listened and seen this podcast that I follow, like build their audience and probably something that's kind of encouraged me in the early days as well. Nice. Well, that's all right. A few more books and whatnot, you'll get there. Right. <laughs> That'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Nice. We've never really touched on property on this podcast. That's, that's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> um, are you associated with any grassroots sporting clubs at the moment? Um, yeah, so rugby-wise, my my uh, local club was Warringah Rats, the mighty Warringah Rats on the Northern Beaches where I grew up. And then um, footy-wise, it's been kind of a weird journey for me because I didn't ever play it as a kid. And my first exposure to footy was moving down to Melbourne and playing VFLW with Carlton. So I kind of skipped the, <laughs> the local community footy level in that part. But, yeah, definitely strong ties from a rugby sense. And finally, if you could pick the brain of anyone in the world, you've only got 30 minutes. Whose brain are you going to? Oh, gosh. I'm going to go Warren Buffett. Mm. Any reason? That's strategic. (laughs) Strategic (laughs) investment advice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Um, Well, let's dive into your career and how you've got to where you are and keen to dive into the amazing work that you're doing. Um, But take us back to your your start as an athlete. Where did your inspiration come from to eventually make it to the Olympics in rugby sevens? Yeah, the the moment for me, as I said in the quick fire, was that Cathy Freeman moment at Sydney 2000. I was seven years old at the time and I was just so blown away by her as an athlete, like the way that she could carry the weight of, of the nation on her shoulders. And I decided in that moment I wanted to win my very own Olympic gold medal. So I kind of went through a whole range of different sports. Like I, I did a fair bit of cross country. So I thought maybe I could be like Kathy and do it in athletics at the Olympics, but I didn't exactly know. And then found basketball through um, a man named Brad Dalton, who's not related, but um, the Dalton family in basketball in Australia are um, very successful. There's multiple siblings that have been to the Olympics and represented Australia and he spotted me down at um, Nippers, down at my local beach when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And he was like, I reckon you should come and try basketball. And I did and kind of fell in love with the game and and played it all through my junior years. But it was once I got to the WNBL that I had a bit of a harsh reality that I was like a full-on bench warmer and wasn't going to be in, <laughs> in any rush to be making the Opal side, unfortunately. We, we can relate. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like full Patty Mills towel waving level of like, I counted, I tried to count how many high fives. I, I would try and break my own record of how many high fives I could give out to my teammates <laughs> throughout a game. That was about all I was contributing at that stage. It's a bit, so, of, a, a bit of a hype, hype queen cut role, mm. you know, in, in the team. Yeah, I took that role very seriously. Mm. <laughs> and, so, and so how did you make that transition from basketball into rugby? I went home and I typed into Google list of Olympic sports and had a look at a few different options and eventually settled on rugby sevens. And because I'd grown up, um, like I said, wearing rats was a really big part of my childhood because of my brothers both playing. And um, yeah, I, I kind of knew the game really well. We'd every Friday or Saturday night we'd watch the Waratahs and, and when the Wallabies were playing we'd, we'd always like we were such a rugby household we, we lived and breathed it so I, I understood the game really well but I'd never made a tackle or I didn't really know how the ruck worked from a, like from actually physically doing it and so I think I gave myself about three years out ahead of the Rio 2016 Olympics to actually learn the game and, and hopefully crack the Aussie side. That is not a long time to become professional in a brand new sport. <laughs> not a long time. And I think like it was one of those interesting things where it was, I was just really fortunate to be in the right time 
um, I think like when there's there's discussion around the um, you know the ten thousand hour rule. Mm, yeah. What's his name that writes those books? Malcolm Gladwell. Thank you, Malcolm Gladwell. His ten thousand hour rule. But he, he also talks about I think it's with the ice hockey players. He did this big survey and, and looked at the fact that a lot of the really successful ice hockey players, um, pretty sure in the US, were all born in like the first few months of the year. And so it was this idea that like yes, there's like ten thousand hours, but then there's also opportunity and and chance the fact that when they were playing they were already 10 11 months older so they Mm. actually got more opportunities and kind of ended up becoming successful yeah i probably butchered that a bit but you get the idea (laughs) um and so i think for me like the fact that it had just become it had recently been announced as an olympic sport rugby australia were actually going out and finding athletes from other sports on purpose and so I was part of this group of athletes who didn't necessarily grow up playing rugby. There was some true rugby players there, but a lot of us had kind of made the switch from other sports. And so we were all learning at a really similar time, which I think I'm really fortunate about. And if I, if I tried to do the same thing now, I'd hope that I'd back in my drive and determination that I get there. But I think, yeah, back in 2013, it just worked out quite well in terms of timings. And what was that experience like going to the, olympics after seeing kathy all those years ago it was pretty insane i just remember so clearly like walking around the olympic village and seeing people that like just all different body shapes and sizes like i think for some reason in my head i had this idea of that everyone fit in this very specific box of you of looking like an olympic athlete but just the fact that you'd have like these like you'd have nba players there right like playing on the dream team and then you'd have like these tiny Russian gymnasts who were 14 years old like it was just like such a spread and it was just the most bizarre thing like I was in the dining hall and I was like oh that looks like Serena and Venus like continue eating my dinner and then later I see people post photos and it is Serena and Venus (laughs) but it's just like the most weird thing for your brain to be like they don't just walk past you when you're sitting eating dinner so like just moments like that was so strange. Mm. I I had a similar experience at the um, 2017 university games this is in Taipei mm. and uh, I was there as an intern not an athlete but we were having lunch one day and um, I was sitting with uh, Dave Colbert who also used to be a former long jumper he randomly sits up or stands up and goes over to the bloke who's a couple of meters along the table and says g'day we competed in the same long jump event uh, you know 20 30 years ago you came second and I came seventh and the guy says to him oh so we both lost it was Carl Lewis, who's won nine Olympic gold medals. Wow. Who was there as like a sprint coach for like the university um, USA team. And so I remember walking around going like, this is incredible. Like <laughs> these athlete villages are insane. That's insane. Like, mm. How's that? We no. both lost. I love the attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, Chloe, tell us about how sort of AFLW came into it as well. Obviously, there was that transition to, to rugby sevens, but... When did that come into the fold? Yeah, I saw AFLW on the telly and because I'd grown up in Sydney, footy wasn't a big thing um, kind of in terms of family and in my area and what my friends played and stuff. So I'd never understood the rules of Aussie rules. Like I'd see like the Swans play on the telly and be like, they don't tackle properly. What is this silly sport? And so I think there was a level of ignorance that a lot of people potentially in the rugby community have that don't understand Aussie rules that I just could never appreciate the game because I didn't get how it worked. Um, But yeah, I saw it on the telly and I thought maybe I could just combine my rugby skills and my basketball skills to be an okay footy player. And I think the big thing about the AFLW that drew me in was this whole storytelling approach that they took about 
the fact that there were so many women over a really long period of time who wanted to play at the top level but just didn't get the opportunity to do it. And there was now this this generation of women that kind of got to like fly that flag and, and play the game at the top level. And I just, it kind of just made me want to be a part of it. And so, yeah, I gave it a crack. Amazing. Oh, I was going to say, and you started with Carlton, did you say, and you've since sort of moved to GWS as well. What was that sort of journey like shifting between, I guess, two cities, but also two two teams? Yeah, it's been um, a really interesting journey. I, I really loved my time at Carlton and it was for that to be my first taste of footy was um, was definitely something that drew me in, you know, like being part of a, a club with such rich history and such a huge member base. Like it was just quite amazing to be a part of a club like that. And we had a lot of success as a team as well in the couple of years that I was there. Um, we played in the grand final in 2019. We got whacked by the Crows, but it was in front of 53,000 people. So I just remember that part of it, you know, <laughs> not the scoreline. Um, and then in 2020, we were on track to to hopefully play in the grand final again. We just beat um, Brisbane Lions. I can't remember if it was in a prelim or a semi. And then Gil had his big press conference and cancelled the whole season because of COVID. So um, I, I originally had moved home to come back to rugby sevens and I tried to go to the Tokyo Olympics for sevens. And it was about... Um, four weeks out from Tokyo that I actually fractured my cheekbone playing sevens and had to get surgery and actually missed out on Tokyo. Um, and so it was after that, that um, I think during the process of sevens of preparing for Tokyo, I made the, the decision that I was really enjoying being back home in Sydney. Um, and I, I just wanted to stick with that. Um, yeah. So got the opportunity to come and play with the giants, which um, yeah, back to your question about the difference between the two, I think, there's definitely challenges with, with being in a city that's not focused on footy. Obviously, there's particularly in the Western suburbs, there's a big focus on rugby league. So I think there's definitely challenges. But um, for me, I've really loved the opportunity to try and help grow the game in Sydney and just from a lifestyle perspective, being near family and friends and, and getting to do what I love is is a nice combination. Nice. Shifting now from that sort of transition out of um, you know, being – full-time athlete essentially what what sort of inspired the the shift from focusing solely on your athletic career to now um starting the the female athlete project yeah it was a big motivation for that one was when I was at rugby sevens I was an ambassador for our watch um who do amazing work in um the promotion of gender equality for the prevention of domestic violence and they took me through a training session because initially I was a little bit apprehensive. I didn't know if I was the right person to be an ambassador for it because I didn't necessarily feel like I was equipped with the right information to talk about an issue that's really prevalent but that's also a really serious issue. And so they said, come and do the training course and then you can make a call from there. And throughout that training course, I, I came to understand the power of sport in Australian culture, you know, like for, for those of us who love sport, it's, it's on our TV on a Friday night, people take their kids down to the park. It's part of our conversation across the weekend about the team that you might support. You, you look at what the Matildas are doing at the moment, like selling out 12 consecutive home games in a row, like filling stadiums, like sport is really powerful. And I think it was the first time I started to comprehend that as an athlete, I kind of always thought that like I was striving for success and like winning gold medals and winning premierships and things like that. And that that could obviously bring people a lot of joy and heartache when we won or lost. But that process with our watch really helped me to understand that 
I really felt, I guess, the weight of responsibility that I could actually use my platform as an athlete to create genuine change more broadly in society. And so from there, I kind of had this like real passion. I was like, I want everyone to know that I'm really passionate about gender equality and that it's not just about sport, it's so much more, but I didn't really know where to funnel the energy. And um, my older brother's in kind of like sports marketing and my younger brother's a videographer. And so they both were like, just start a podcast, just do it in the garage. I'd moved back in during COVID with mum and dad and they're like, just set it up in the garage and just start a podcast, just do it. And so we did... um, And I interviewed a few incredible athletes who I'd either played with or who I knew through my sport connections. And as we started to put podcast content out on socials, we experimented with a few different bits of content around kind of like top moments in women's sport across the weekend and highlighting someone winning a world championship or breaking a world record. And we just realized what a huge gap there was in people And when I say people, like I was trying to find information, you know, like I was like, what's a social page I can follow? What's a podcast I can follow that purely highlights women in sport? And I couldn't find anything anywhere. And so I was like, let's fill the gap. Let's create the content. And so I think, yeah, it's been pretty cool to see the way that it's grown from there. Mm. I I checked your Instagram before and I can see the first story is what to watch this week. Just Mm -hmm. highlighting like these are the things that are on TV that you can follow women's sport, which is awesome. Um, in terms of the like initial setup when you first got started, you, know, you come from a athlete and physiotherapy background, but with a lot of this content creation, there's a lot of you know design, editing, all these new skills. How did you go about learning all that and, and, f- and literally piecing together what you have now? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I have been really fortunate that I've actually got people around me in terms of family and close friends who have really good skill sets that have complemented what we're doing so I think that's been something that's been a really nice part of the process is like I think when you're starting something like that is putting your hand up and saying I don't know how to do half of this but then at the same time and and I think um, I'm sure you guys would have had a similar experience like so much of it is a steep learning curve and a lot of time you kind of just learn to do things yourself because it's the only way to get things done Um, and so I think I really loved there's probably parallels between the fact that I've kind of changed sporting careers and I've kind of thrown myself in the deep end with um, TFAP, as we call it for short. Like knowing that, yes, I'm not necessarily, I don't have any media training, I don't have a degree in this area, but I kind of back the fact that I'll research and find the right people and ask questions and learn over time. And, and I've really enjoyed that that process of each day doing something completely brand new that I've never done before. Is there someone who has taught you about media that has given you one particular lesson that's like stuck in your mind or maybe related to another part of the business yeah I think there's been a couple of people along the way um I've got an an amazing business mentor by the name of Belinda Rowe um through Minerva Network which I don't know if you've heard of but they they partner like c-suite women with female athletes to try and help bridge that gap because a lot of the time I guess the idea is that male athletes, if they were to retire from sport, are pretty well connected and have a lot of different networks, but that's something that can be lacking a lot of the time for female athletes. And so Belinda's been an incredible mentor for me. Um, She's got extensive experience in the industry and I think just like regularly sitting down with her from an an accountability perspective has been something that's been really important. Um, And then I think it was Christy uh, Christy Dora in the journal who does a lot of rugby content. And I remember sitting down with him when I was initially kind of in the early days of the podcast and talking about like how much I should research and prepare and get ready because early days I almost had every single question of the podcast planned out in advance. And and Christy said something like, 
there's also a benefit to the element of surprise of when someone tells you a story and as as the podcast host or as the person who's interviewing them, you actually don't necessarily know that. And I think that was something that was cool because I think I can definitely overthink and overanalyze. It was kind of a nice perspective to be like, you know what, it's actually okay. Like I, I think there's definitely a level of respect that you show someone when you've done your research and done your prep, right? Like if, if someone rocked up to your podcast and you didn't know anything about them and then they're sitting there like, why'd you even get me on here? You know, yeah. like I think there's <laughs> there's a huge amount of respect that it shows that you've prepared and, and got ready. But I think there's also a nice element of like hearing something for the first time. We, we had uh, Hamish McLaughlin on a couple of years ago now and we were learning about journalism from Bruce McAvaney via Hamish McLaughlin. Amazing. <laughs> and like one of, yeah. one of the top bit of top tips that uh, Bruce gave Hamish was always do your research. You might need to do this much, but you only ever use this much, but you never know like which bit that's going to be, but you want to be prepared when it comes. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. I reckon it's the best podcast as well. Like, well, you, you'd know uh, quite well that I reckon the best podcast is when you, it just flows and sometimes like we've got questions here that we, we know we're going to ask you, but I reckon the best podcast is when it just goes in a direction and, you know, you don't need the questions. Uh, and yeah, it, it's that sweet spot. Um, I definitely understand what you're saying. It's you want to have a bit of surprise, but the um, having some sort of uh, track there to follow is, is always good. Um, Chloe, unfortunately, like we know there's, you know, a lot, still a lot of people who don't give, female sport the respect and athlete and female athletes the respect they deserve um which you know is a constant challenge in sport but just wondering have you encountered any of those challenges in promoting women's sport through the female athlete project specifically yes definitely yes um even just in comment sections like every single day there's people in the comment sections who just I think often feel like they're being really threatened by women succeeding and existing in places and breaking records. And I think it's often this idea of, of a lot of the time it's unfortunately either like teenage boys or kind of these middle-aged men in the comment sections who just have to pick the most common one we get because we've started to see multiple um, sports for women selling out stadiums consistently. So for example, we, we posted about the fact that Arsenal sold out Emirates stadium for the first time, just a, just a few weeks ago. And there's like 60,000 people in this stadium. Right. And so many men came into the comments. It, granted it was on Facebook, but they came into the comments and they're like, look how many free tickets they gave out or like tickets must've cost a dollar each or something like just like these facts that are not correct they've just made them up but it's almost like that next step it's like they always would say like oh they'll never fill the stadiums they don't have enough people watching and so then that happens we fill the stadiums and then there's another reason and so it's almost this really exhaustive list even when what they're arguing doesn't actually have any factual base to it they just are so threatened by this idea of of women being successful and I think the biggest thing that we try and do through our platform is really celebrating what the female athletes and what women in sport are achieving. We will definitely call stuff out um, when the time and place is right, but we've really made a focus on wanting it to be a really positive place and something that's really about, hey, how incredible is what's been achieved here? And through that, we also want to kind of educate people on this idea that it's not one pie, like it's not just one one source 
where everyone is pulling from and when the women get more and more successful and more opportunity, then it's going to take away from the men. That's just not the case. Like I think if you look at it from a footy perspective, like women playing AFL, women having opportunities in terms of coaching pathways, administration and in an executive leadership roles, like women bring incredible diversity and, and positive elements to the game. And they also, what they do is they allow sport to become a more inclusive and welcoming place when in the past it hasn't necessarily been. And so I think it's really trying to educate and shift people's view on the fact that women are here to take things away from men when it's just simply not the case. Mm, in a way, they, they grow the pie, really. Like, For sure. Mm, it's not getting divvied up. I love big meat pies or apple pies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Quick sidebar. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of those comments are coming on, you know, just you reporting the news and what go, what's going on in the world. Does any of that ever get directed towards you? Yeah, I've I've definitely had some of it personally, um, but yeah, to nowhere near the extent as of what's happened with the Female Athlete Project. I think if I look at like my rugby career, it was a really interesting process where as a team we were really quite highly respected and celebrated, the Aussie Sevens women's team. Like I think there was a lot of it where we kind of challenged a lot of stereotypes in the sense that people thought that women couldn't play rugby well and they saw us compete in Rio and the standard of rugby we played. And it's kind of sad that that was the case that we had to like be on the world stage to change people's opinions, but that's what happened. And I think throughout that process, like a lot of the comments and support we got was so overwhelmingly positive that it was really quite confronting for me when I switched across to footy and I just would not necessarily read comments about me personally, but about fellow players in the competition. I just was like mind blown at some of the negative comments that, that were on there. And it was just a real, it was a really interesting shift. And, and how have you learned to, to deal with that as, as time's gone on? Um, I have a range of approaches. <laughs> Depends what mood I'm in on the day, maybe and how many comments I've received. I think um, I try and get a read uh, based on, I guess, the way that the person approaches it. If they're, if they're coming in and they've got a real profile picture, a real name and things like that, if, if they're just a trolling account, I'll immediately block them and delete the comment because there's no energy worth saving there. If they look to be a real person, I will, depending on the nature of their comment, I'll sometimes go back to them to try and use statistics and data to prove that what they're saying is incorrect Sometimes I'll be a bit of a smart ass back to them and see if I can get a few likes on my comment <laughs> just for a bit of fun. But um, yeah, I think, I think I'll try and educate people with cold hard facts if the opportunity presents, but otherwise it's just exhausting sometimes. And so blocking and deleting is the way to go, but it's hard to keep up with sometimes like particularly like, you know, with the algorithm sometimes, like if a reel goes viral, like it's hard to keep up with that volume of comments from a from a resourcing perspective too. Mm. And what about just in like day-to-day conversations or overhearing other things? If you come across someone who might say, oh, you know, well, the standard of women's sport isn't there, therefore they shouldn't get paid as much. So what, what's your response to that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a very common one. And I think the biggest thing that I would look at is is throughout this process I, I released a book last year in 2023 called girls don't play sport with the don't crossed out but what I wanted to do in that book is I wanted to provide this real insight into what it's actually like as a female athlete in terms of 
the amount of barriers that you face as a female athlete that a male athlete will never face in their career before it gets to this end product because people always see this end product on TV, right? And they make their judgments based on that. If they see AFLW on TV, they make all of their judgments in comparison to the men's game without any knowledge and understanding of the the barriers that a lot of those women have faced to even become not even a professional athlete, still a very semi-professional athlete. And so I think the biggest thing for me is actually looking at the availability of high quality coaching, the availability of a change room to get changed in when you rock up to your local footy game or whatever that looks like, wearing uniforms and things that fit, even getting past this this barrier. So the one of the stats that's pretty concerning is the fact that 50% of girls will drop out of sport by the age of 17. So even the fact that these athletes have got past that 50% in an environment that is not made for them. A lot of the time in an environment that is yelling at them in whatever format it is saying, you shouldn't be here. They've made it past that to even get to that point of being a a professional athlete. And so I think there's so many things that they need to overcome. And then the way that so many of these business models have traditionally been run, a lot of the time there's been men sitting in the boardrooms making decisions about the women's game. And what they've done is they've held onto these assumptions that they have based on the history of women in sport and based on the performance in history and they almost can't they can't see a future that's different to the past that they have experienced and so I think that's why it's so important to have women and and diverse voices sitting around these tables to be able to change the decisions based on the assumptions that they've had based on the life that they have lived mm. sorry I don't know if that's too much of a roundabout answer no also just love the passion in your voice when you're talking about this as well but no it makes complete sense I mean you look at the history of the AFLW versus the the men's competition and how long that's been running I mean you know what you say makes complete sense thanks yeah <laughs> yeah that that's stat about the the 50 percent of women uh not playing sport after 17 like you're right like that is a that is a crazy stat when you think about, you know, the women and girls who do play on after that, essentially 50%. You've got a half chance of not not being there. So it's, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, getting on to the, uh, another debate with, with women's sport, which is, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'd get a lot of commentary from is, um, you know, the pay, pay dispute and pay gap and all that kind of thing. Um, when you come across people who say, you know, the standard isn't as good as the men, so why should they be paid the same? You know, that constant sort of uh, piece of commentary that's going around. What, what's your response to that? Well, what do you sort of answer with? I know you mentioned um, you use data and, and whatnot before, but what's sort of the, the go-to response when you, you're sort of faced with that debate? Yeah, I think it's coming back to that idea of, of touching on these assumptions that people have held for a really long time. So one of those assumptions is that almost that a, a – women's game or a female athlete could never be a higher standard than the way that a man can perform. And what I loved was um, at the NBA All-Star Weekend recently when Sabrina Unesco was was up against Steph Curry. So she in the WNBA three-point shootout last year, uh, I think she scored 37. Highest score of all time, but obviously everyone in the comments is saying, well, she's shooting from the WNBA three-point line. It doesn't count. Like she should be in the NBA if she wants to even compete like in the three-point shootout. So they obviously put Sabrina up against Steph. Steph, one of the greatest shooters we'll ever see in the history of the game. She lost this shootout 29 to 26, but her score of 26 was actually equal to Damian Lillard who won the men's NBA three-point shootout. And she was shooting from the NBA three-point line. Like she, 
she made the decision to actually take a step back a couple of feet to almost prove all these haters wrong to be like, okay, fine, I'll do it from here. Even though she doesn't play and shoot from there regularly, she hadn't played a game since October. And so I think that's like a really cool example. And there's so many different ones that you could touch on that are just like these little signals of, of starting to see change and, and starting to change people's attitudes. And there will always be plenty of men in the comments that will still continue to like beat someone like Sabrina down. But I think it's really kind of challenging what people think women in sport can achieve. You don't have to look at um, Sam Kerr's goal in the semi-final of the World Cup last year. Like that, that's an outstanding goal by anybody's standards. No, you don't have to go any further than that. So um, it is amazing to see what people are doing right around the world. Um, how do you measure the impact of your work? And um, is there any particular feedback that you've got from the athlete community? Yeah, I think what's been quite amazing with TFAP has been the way that female athletes actually get on board to support each other, which is not a surprising thing. But what we've really noticed with the athletes is like there's this sense of like gratitude and almost a sense of like finally someone finally sees us, you know, like I think it's really cool when we can share this content about these athletes. Like there's so many of them that have faced like so many similar battles to what I have as an athlete that I'm trying to address them. And I think the fact that I'm an athlete as well is kind of a, I guess a cool way for them to be like, Oh, it's actually an athlete who's trying to solve this problem. And I'm absolutely not doing it on my own. Right. Like I've got a team around me and there's some incredible other platforms that are promoting women in sport. But I think that's been a really cool piece of feedback. And then I do a lot of like panels and keynotes and things. And I had this big keynote the other day when I was down in Melbourne and I was like, I usually don't get nervous because I do them quite often. But for this one, I just felt really quite anxious. I had a lot of other things going on and I was really anxious before I got up on stage. And I think when you hear yourself tell your own story, a lot of the time you get a bit bored of it and you start to almost doubt whether other people will find it interesting. And so I was like trying to like psych myself out psych myself up before I got up there and once I got on stage I actually kind of found my rhythm and and really quite enjoyed it and after I spoke I had so many women in particular come up to me and it happens every time I speak in those environments is that women come up to me and tell me stories about something that might not even relate to sport but how my story that I've shared like it almost empowers them to be able to be like a a lady came up to me after this um, talk the other day and she was like thank you so much for speaking about that. You know, like as a woman in, in this industry, like I haven't had to get help from my mother-in-law to look after my children, to fly to Melbourne, to come to this conference, you know, like I think it's been really cool to kind of look past just sport to actually see the barriers that so many women face across all different industries. Oh, that's awesome. Um, on the, on the flip side, you know, when you think of everything it took to sort of get female athlete project up and running, um, an impact you're having on people's lives. What are the parts, I guess, that you're, you're most proud of when, when you look back? Um, I think one of the big ones was probably the um, campaign that we were a part of for the Tokyo Paralympics back in 2021. So um, it came out from an SBS article about the fact that Paralympians didn't receive equal medal bonuses. And I was shocked because I had got the $20,000 medal bonus when we won a gold medal in Rio. And I just assumed that it was the same for the Paralympians. So when it came out that they actually received $0 for gold, silver or bronze when they're representing their country was 
a pretty shocking fact. And so we really wanted to do something about it. And so we started a big social campaign. We sold equal t-shirts that I'm wearing, one of them that I'm wearing at the moment. Um, we did a GoFundMe that raised just under $100,000 and it gained a huge amount of traction. And obviously lots of people were speaking about it. Lots of journalists were covering um, the story. And then during question time, Scott Morrison announced that the government were going to ensure that the Paralympians got um, equal medal bonuses. And I think that was a really cool moment to to be a part of and to chat on the phone to some of the Paralympians that were competing over in Tokyo and like there's there's Paralympians that have been campaigning for decades for for things like that for equal opportunity and equal recognition and we were a very very small part of that puzzle but I think again it was like that feeling of realizing like that I can use my platform to actually call out change for other people as well I mean that would have been super cool feeling because like you know what you're doing on local levels having have an impact on the rest of the country and then to know that that can happen once must instill you with an enormous amount of belief that if anything should come up in the future you've got that ability to do it again yeah and i think it was also like a really nice lesson in that social media can be a really positive and really powerful space like there's so much so much information that we consume through social media and, and a lot of it i think now we've kind of shifted into being a lot more positive like i think there's almost this empowerment of like going away from like your typical Instagram influencers to like really celebrating diversity of like different types of people and diversity of thought and opinion and experience. So I think it's, it's been a real shift to make that positive, but yeah, just to kind of see the way that you can empower people, even if they've got 49 followers on Instagram and they share a title to their story, when it's a collective effort, it can make genuine change. Mm. Um, thinking about the future, what does the future of the female athlete project look like to you? Are there any particular initiatives or ideas that you um, want to do? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot and I don't have the exact answer because I think we're kind of in this space where we've actually got to ride this incredible wave of the growth of women's sport. And it feels a little bit like we could almost take it in any direction. Like we'll definitely um, focus our energy into this um, content creation area that, that we're existing in right now, because I think the biggest thing that we want to continue to do is is to make news and information about what these incredible athletes are achieving really accessible for people. Um, yeah, I think there's there's definitely a number of different avenues that we could take it. But for me, it's been about how do I actually bring people on board um, in in different roles throughout the business and and learn to delegate as as a leader as well. Um, so that when I get back into footy season, like I'm in the off season at the moment, but we're about to start training again. Like when I get back into footy, I'm putting the right amount of energy into footy while the business continues to grow rather than putting all this energy into footy, kind of keeping the business afloat. And then off season goes really hard investing into the business, you know? Mm, yep. In, in like yep. in terms of um, the life that you are trying to live at the moment, you've still got years left of playing. How do you see that balance of being an athlete with, the female athlete project um, sitting in your life? Is there a certain point where like, okay, then I'll go all in or, you know, how does that look for you? Yeah, I um, I do hope I've got a few years left. Hopefully the body holds up all right <laughs> and we'll be good to go. But um, yeah, it's definitely something I would see myself transitioning to, to work in TFAP full time once I do retire from footy. But um, yeah, I guess the plan in the meantime is to start to employ more people in the roles that we really need it so that I can, I guess, put it's, – it's hard, right, when you're doing so much of it, mm. like to try and pull away to the right extent that I can oversee it but have people in different roles so that while I'm still playing footy, 
the business is not to the detriment of my footy career. So I think definitely a longer term plan is to, to move into the business as my job once I do retire from footy, but working out in the interim to make sure that I do get that balance right. Mm. And for those who like who look at your amazing page and see all this great content, um, and you mentioned you've got a team around you too, um, could you talk to the commercials of how the, the female athlete works as well? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so for us, the, the two major sources are, are through our partnerships um, and then also through our merchandise. So I think it's been really cool as we've continued to grow to, I guess, be a place where a lot of our commercial partners have seen what we're doing and, and recognise, I guess, the power of uplifting women and, and the movement of women in sport and they've they've wanted to partner with us. So I think that's been um, quite an amazing amount of growth that we've seen to kind of continue doing what we do. Um, yeah, and so I've just got an awesome team around me. I've got Bez who co-hosts the podcast with me, um, who looks after all the merchandise stuff. I've got Dom DeToy, who's one of my Rugby Sevens teammates who runs our social media. Um, Jordan, a good friend who does some graphic design. Bailey, my younger brother, does uh, um, podcast production. Um, Riley, my partner, does a weekly newsletter. Like it's just like this cool combination of people around hopefully I haven't missed anyone because I get in trouble <laughs> my mum does my emails so that's handy so it's just a, a good group of people around who kind of help us continue to grow and um do you think that you'll just keep it within Australia or are you looking around the world as well for example you know TFAP UK TFAP US or you know what does that look like to you yeah it's definitely something we've considered um more for the medium term I think looking at expanding and and we've actually seen a bit of a shift in terms of our follower base um, as we've grown that it's not purely just just Australia we've seen growth particularly in the US and the UK in terms of our follower demographics so it's there's so much going on overseas right like the the growth of women's sport in the US and the UK in particular is is definitely something we want to address and it's it's working out the right balance of like for us where we have a real focus on Australia but we do cover a real range of, of global sport and, and different athletes there so it's just working out do we diversify the content on the tfat page or do you create separate um separate platforms for that so yeah definitely something we still need to look at in future we're having the same issue too because we've got yeah, right. pe- people over in the uk us people learn about how to get jobs in australia yeah. versus in the uk do you do the create new channels for that or you just keep it to one so if you Figure out an answer. Please let us know. I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for you guys to make that call and then you tell me. <laughs> we'll send a case study back. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> let us stuff it up before you yeah, have exactly. <laughs> Nice. Last couple before we wrap up. Um, obviously, the landscape of, of women's sports evolving, right? you got the A-Leagues is growing. you got AFLW, NRLW. We've just seen the Matildas uh, just sell out a, a game in, in Melbourne. Um it's all absolutely firing on all cylinders. Um, and, and what role do you, I guess, hope for the Female Athlete Project to play in the future of that um, evolution, I suppose? Yeah, so when we've talked about what we want to continue doing moving forward, I think what we've seen, say, like if we look at back at the past 12 months and, and talk about the FIFA Women's World Cup in 2023 with what the Tillies did, what we started to notice was the community that we've built and the followers that are coming on board aren't necessarily sports fanatics. They're not necessarily obsessed with a particular code or athlete or or team. Some of them are, but a lot of them have actually come on board because they just love seeing women succeeding and and women existing in spaces that they haven't before. And so what we've realized with our content is we want to make it um, 
engaging but also educational in the sense that it can bring people in and I think I kind of touched on before this idea that women and girls haven't necessarily felt welcome in in the sport environment before there's almost been this barrier of if you don't have this really inherent knowledge and understanding and you can't like reel off like the top players in every single team or the top stats, then you're not allowed to comment on sport. You're not allowed to say you're a fan of sport. And so what we want to do is we want to make it a space where in our copy, like in our captions on our social content, we're actually educating people of like, if you didn't know who Sam Kerr was, who are you living under a rock? But you know what I mean? Like just providing a little bit more context so that we can bring people along and over time almost expand their knowledge at that that top level. Like, And then from there, hopefully more fans get engaged with specific teams and leagues and then we get to teach them more about the individual athletes, if that makes sense. Mm. I know um, yeah. one bit of intel that would have helped my mum a couple of years ago is just the knowledge that you can buy female kits in men's sizes because in 2020 i asked mum for a chelsea jersey with sam kerr on the back and she's mm. like oh no they don't make that in men's i'm like they do mum. i've looked at the website please get it for me yeah right <laughs> but yeah so there might be a demographic out there who could be interested in buying stuff like that yeah and i actually think like that's a really simple thing right but mm. it's actually like a really important one because it's also again like challenging this idea like because you're a guy, you can still be a diehard Sam Kerr fan and mm. you should be able to get her shirt in a size that's appropriate for you, you know? Like exactly. just simple things like that too. Yeah, well, who was it? Um, Mackenzie Arnold's jersey just got released the other day. Yep. Um, and that was available in men's and women's sizes. Awesome. Yeah. That's really good to know. I think it sold out in five or ten minutes though. Fair, the fair people enough. were not yeah. happy. <laughs> the people were unimpressed what? that there wasn't enough stock. <laughs> Everyone was crying out for it. And it was like, why... Why the hell are there no purple goalkeeper kits out there? Like it's that, a cool that's kit. Whatever I'm wanted. Really cool yeah. Kit. It's mm. such a good kit. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Final question for you. Reflecting on everything that you've done to build the female athlete project, is there um, one particular lesson that you think has been most valuable through this journey that you'll carry with you in the future? Oh, yeah. That's a big question. Um I think the big thing is just always coming back to why we're doing it. Cause I think um, it's really hard when you're running a platform like this. And I imagine you guys have a similar feeling on some days of like some things might go really well, or you'll put a piece of content out and it doesn't perform or you get trolls or whatever it is. And, and you feel really flat about it. And it's kind of, sometimes you have that feeling of like, this is a lot of, effort you know this is hard and it's a lot of effort and I think for me it's always coming back to and I love that's why I love like those women who will come up to me after the keynotes and panels or just like the random dms will get of like a dad who says hey my name's Mark I drive home every Tuesday night me and my daughter listen to your podcast and it encourages her when she goes out to soccer training on a Wednesday morning so that she she feels excited like little things like that that seem insignificant. I think it's so important to kind of come back to that and remind yourself like what your actual purpose is with what you're doing. Amazing. And have you got a Kathy Freeman on the podcast? Has she been on the podcast? No. If you know her, please let me know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't like, I haven't gone to shoot my shot with yeah, her I've got yet, a number but... in my phone. Just oh answer. yeah. Send it over. <laughs> She's... <laughs> She's on the list for sure. Oh, definite target. Um, Ruse, before we wrap up, are there any other episodes that sort of relate to, to Chloe and, and her story that people can listen into? 
Yeah, well, I think an, another incredible female doing some amazing work um, in this space is is Rana Hussain. We've, I feel like we've mentioned her a few times in, in recent weeks, but um, yeah. but for people who want to listen to her, I think she's episode 238, but um, yeah, doing some incredible work in the diversity and inclusion space too. So for those who want to go on an International Women's Day binge this week, definitely check out Rana. Yeah, she's incredible. Big shout out to Rana. I love the work she does. Incredible. Chloe, it has been absolutely amazing having you on the show. Uh, I'm very jealous of Rose being able to be there in person uh, to have you on, but uh, it's just been great hearing about your journey and and how you're able to sort of juggle this this athlete career, but also starting such incredible things such as the Female Athlete Project. So it's been awesome to hear um, your story, some of the success, some of the challenges. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening in has got a lot from it. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Guys, it is time now for the people's segment of the podcast, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question directly from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, become a Sports Grad member. You can join our waitlist for our next intake in May right now. So head to our website to join. Rubes, this question comes from Meg. Uh, and this is a one we get a little bit often uh, I've seen coming through as of late. Uh, the question is, I still live in the UK and don't have any solid plans to move to Australia yet, but my plan is to move in the next 12 months. I'm still applying for jobs as if the right job came up, I would be happy to move as soon as possible. How can I make myself come across as a more realistic candidate for a role in Australia without being in the country yet? Uh, and then she's put in brackets, I have an Australian passport. So she can get here at any point. Mm, great question, Meg. And I think a lot of people face this challenge no matter where they're trying to move overseas and work in sport. doesn't matter if you're going from Australia to London, London to the US. You really want to make sure that you land on the ground as smoothly as you can and, and ready to go into a new job and you know start your life on the other side of the world because that's exciting. So in terms of how to make yourself come across as a more realistic candidate, Well, there's a few things that go into this. One is that if you are in the country and people can see you and they can know you and they believe that you can start next week, then that is a realistic candidate. (laughs) If you're on the other side of the world and you're just a name on a resume, then that is, you know, just a name in a pile who's, you know, a long, long way away that doesn't really concern the hiring manager. So to be a realistic candidate, you have to make yourself known. And if you can't do that in person, then you need to do that over Zoom. So I spoke to one person who did this successfully moving from Australia to London. And uh, Meg, you've got a good time frame in terms of the next 12 months because this particular person started 12 months before they wanted to move to the UK. And what they did is they started scrolling through LinkedIn and reaching out to people who they wanted to connect with. And so she would jump on Zoom and over a series of months and series of Zoom calls, she began to grow her network in London. And so eventually when the time came to move, she was landing on the ground with a network ready to support her. And within three weeks of landing, she was able to land her job at uh, Chelsea Football Club of all places. So to be a realistic candidate, you've got to make yourself known. Do that as best you can from the other side of the world using LinkedIn and Zoom. And then you really want to solidify your place as a candidate when you arrive on the ground. That's kind of the kicker. That's, you know, it's hard to get a job before leaving. If you can do that, kudos to you. Well done. But once you arrive on the ground, that's, that shows a lot of people that you are serious. I'll give you another example. Um, 
Tom Hickey, who has been on the podcast, who worked at the NFL and the International Olympic Committee, and now he's at the Brisbane 2032 Games. He um, he just packed up his life in Melbourne as a corporate lawyer and moved to New York. He had nothing to go to. But when he arrived, he networked like crazy. It took him a few months and eventually met someone from the NFL. That led to working one day a week there. Then someone left and now he ended up getting you know, three days a week, four days a week, eventually became full-time. But they wouldn't consider him for that, you know, first little um, part-time role unless he was there and they could see that, okay, well, this guy's legit. Um, and on top of that, we hear of people who go overseas to do a bit of a, a, a reconnaissance trip to go and suss out what it's like on the ground before they actually move to the country. So, for example, if you wanted to move to the US, you might go over there on a two-week holiday and while you're enjoying yourself, every now and again, just try and arrange a coffee when you're in LA and you want to meet up with the Lakers or when you go to New York, meet up with the New York Giants. So you can start to build your network in person, show people that you exist and that you are serious and you can go back home and still keep that um, vision. They can still keep that opinion of you as a realistic candidate in their mind, even though you haven't made the full leap across the world yet. So there's three different ways that you can go about it. Amazing. It's all about the networking, Meg. So good luck. I'm sure you'll get there in the next 12 months. If you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, as I mentioned, become a Sportsgrab member. Each week we jump on virtual events, in-person events. We've got coffee clubs, we've got run clubs. We've got job boards, we've got a supporter community all there for you to reach your goal in sport. I might mention that, Rose. We've got a, got a run club up and running on Strava, which is super exciting. Yeah, we did a, did a good lop, lap around the Opera House the other day. So, yeah, we're up and running. First run, uh, like official run, I would like to call it, was around the Opera House. So that's, that's pretty cool to, uh, mm. to note. But uh, what I was saying was there is a ton of resources in there for you to work in sport, Get that job and sort or reach your goals. So but join the waitlist today, head to our website and get involved. Uh, in the meantime, find us on LinkedIn. Uh, we speak pretty regularly on there, so you can keep up to date with all things sports grad. Give us some love with a rating. If you enjoy the show, subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey friends, one last thing before you go. If you really want to make an impact in sport, then subscribe to the Sports Grad newsletter. Inside, we share all the latest job openings and networking events, so you're always aware of opportunities to land a job and grow your network. Plus, we share a Q&A with professional on how they grow their career in sport. Here we talk about things like how they moved overseas or negotiated their salary or landed a new job or promotion, made a career change and so much more. It's kind of like a little boost of inspiration in your inbox before the weekend. So if you're like us, you're career driven and you're keen to progress quickly, you're going to love the Sportsgrad newsletter. To get it, head to sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe or follow the link in the show notes. See you next time.